podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. For all the latest betting markets, odds and promotions, visit williamhill.com. 18 plus, please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Hello and welcome to Middle Please Umpire. My name is Miles Jupp uh, and I'm joined as ever by World Cup winning England cricketer and indeed owl substitute Mark Wood. Whistle and he'll come to you. How are you, Mark? Hello, Miles. How are you? We're talking of whistles. Have you perfected the wood whistle yet? I can't. I keep forgetting it. Is that it? See, got it in one there. Eventually we're there. So if I'm ever, if I, you're ever in the supermarket in Ashington um, and I hear that whistle, now I know it's you. What are, which uh, supermarkets are there in Ashington? Of course, there is um, Asda, um, Aldi, there's a little. Yeah. yeah. Iceland. You got home bargains? Mm, yes, we have got a home bargain. Very yeah. useful home bargains, particularly particularly for confectionery. Uh, I see, I know that we've, we've added in five there. I'm never going to find you, Emma. I'm going to be in Iceland and you're going to be in home bargains. I'm going to be in a I'm loud gonna be in whistle. The, I'm going to be in the middle of little having an absolute ball. Uh, <laughs> because, do you know, if you go to the little website, and this is useful information not just for cricket fans, you... You might think that the middle of little is just a series of random items, but if you go to the website, they actually tell you in advance what is going to be in the middle of little. It's all absolutely brilliantly planned out. I like to leave it as a surprise. I want to see. I just want to see what's in there. What can I? What can I bring out? I don't want. I don't want. Uh, I don't want to know beforehand. Well, it's very useful at this time of the year if you've got a partner who always says things like, "Oh, I, you know, just surprise me." They weren't expecting whatever it might be. You know, a, a, a fleece, a an incredibly suit. heavy torch, <laughs> yeah, nine foot pumps. It's, br- it's brilliant. <laughs> so if I'm in, if I go into any of the supermarkets in Ashington, I have to do it on a sort of rotor system, and I go. And do you do you just prick your ears up, or do you run towards the sound? No, you'll get it. You'll get it back, and then we continuously do until we meet. And it, it, the whistle gets closer and closer. Bang, we're together. We do a podcast in the middle of Aldi. You are like an owl, then. That is that. Isn't that how owls move around in the dark because they. The sound bounces off trees and stuff. That's how they work out how far away they are from things. No, you said it was... Well, you said it's because you were always hooting. It's because you, <laughs> you eat a lot of sort of worms and stuff like that. Well, you don't eat all of them. Some of them you just collect from your, for your young. And, and of course, you use sort of just sound to, to navigate your way in the dark. If you go to the supermarket, Mark, do you get absolutely mobbed? With people saying things like, can you tell me where the frozen goods are, Liz? <laughs> no, the, um, no, absolutely not. Uh, the, probably the place I get recognised the most is probably London, more than anywhere. I mean, in my hometown and stuff, no one yeah. um, really bothers me or, or anything like that. I think it's uh, or in the northeast in general. Obviously, it's a massive football place up here, so I, I just slide under the radar nicely. How about you? Do you did the Monmouth? Do you get swamped there? Uh, sometimes. Well, I mean, I live here, so it's just a sort of completely normal... I'm, you know, wandering about aimlessly for much of the much of the time. But yeah, London. Another like, oh, there's that fast bowler, Miles Jupp. <laughs> there's that guy who's played two games for Monmouth Thirds and is uh, seriously considering asking if he can drop down to the fours next season. Yeah, a lot of chat. We've just got our new kit, actually. I think I'm going to get a Monmouth beanie. And was uh, that for was that for Christmas? Obviously, you've got your Christmas list in. I'm assuming, and Monmouth beanie was top of it. Uh, that's right, yeah. I just did. I don't know if you heard it, Mark. I can't remember if you listened to Radio 4 at 8 o'clock on Monday evenings. I just did a programme. I went to the Arctic Circle. Well, I didn't just do it. I did it last year when there was sl- slightly more freedom of movement for political and health reasons. Mm. And uh, I, yeah, I met. I actually went to uh, the town where Father Christmas lives, the post office, where they saw all the letters, and uh, I met him. 
Uh, and, and how was uh, that? It was it was extraordinary, actually. It was, um, I mean, in a way, he's exactly as you'd expect him to be. Was there he's, any cricket bats in there? Who's he? Who's he sponsored by? Who's he sponsored by? Well, he is. Uh, he's one of those people. He's got Kookaburra stickers, but I, I know it's a Newbury. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so now it's Christmas we should explain the context of this we're recording this just a few days before Christmas I myself have come upstairs with a a glass of Prosecco I've been absolutely sweating over a Yule log downstairs Uh, what are you up to Mark? (laughs) I always find that uh, it's a bit sad this time of year it reminds me of of school where unfortunately me and my friend um, Jonathan Nelson we I would say fathered a couple of rabbits in the school field Um, this is year 7, year 8 um, we used to go every day to feed them, um, and unfortunately, we didn't get the nutrition right. We kept thinking that they would eat carrots, and, and they didn't. And uh, unfortunately, th- those rabbits um, didn't survive. So it's always a sad time of year, but it makes me reflect on you know school life around this time of year, swapping Pokemon cards and Pogs. That was all the rage in my my school. What's Pogs? Pogs is the little sort of discs that you would you would flip and, and try and uh, knock. You never played Pogs? I've never played Pogs. Pokemon cards then? Pokemon cards. Well, our children have Pokemon cards. I've not. I've, I struggle. I struggle to work out the rules are. Pokemon Go though. If you could download that on your mobile, that is an excellent way of taking children for a five-mile walk without them noticing. You know, I'm <laughs> I'm sort of looking at my step counter, whereas they're saying, "Look, we found another whatever he is, the big yellow one. It's called um, Pokey McPokeface." <laughs> What's he called? Ponyo. Ponyo. No, that's a completely different thing. I've even. I've, Are you on about Pikachu? Pikachu. That's the fellow. Yeah. Uh, do you know who he's sponsored by? Um, <laughs> Newbury, but I think yeah, he's <laughs> uh, just <laughs> uh, Close, actually. He 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 has never been able to get rid of his old uh, Graham Gooch three three three. Of course, I would get to hang around with the um, Chavas at this time of year. Now, a Chava in the northeast is the same as a Chav anywhere else in the country. Um, so I'd get to hang around with them at this time of year simply because I had a good throw. So, of course, when it would be snowy this time of year, because I was athletic and had a good arm, I would manage to get in with, with those lads for, for a couple of weeks until I realised at the end, when the snow melted, that I had absolutely no banter with them whatsoever. <laughs> and then I'd be shipped on, a, <laughs> shipped on again. What sort of length run-up did you have in those days? Was that before you lengthened it? <laughs> uh, just a, just a sort of stand and throw by us, I would say. So when I was at school, I went to a boarding school, and we used to do a thing where I realised when I was quite young that I could do a thing where I would go into somebody else's room and they'd be, so like someone older, say, and they'd be playing snowballs in front of the building and I would open the window and start being rude to them and they'd start throwing snowballs at me. And I remember one guy in particular, a big guy, and I kept I kept being really rude to him. He kept throwing snowballs at me. And he was like, he said, I'm going to hit you, I'm going to hit you. And after about 10 minutes, I went, you know that I'm in your room. <laughs> <laughs> you don't really get snow nowadays on Christmas, do you? Which is a bit disappointing. Well, the world is um, facing a number of quite serious issues at the moment, of which the, yeah, mm. the dearth of serious snowballing is 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 but one of the symptoms. <laughs> but it will come now, it comes at unexpected times. It's suddenly like heavy snow in April and things like that now. Yeah. Well, we, we played a game for Durham a couple of years ago and Middlesex had their beanie hats on, not their county caps. I remember seeing the footage of P- Peter Siddle bowling with a with a beanie on. That's right. That's right. You see, the, these southerners... It could have been that he was waiting for his new hair, hair dye to dry, but I think he was just sort that of... That is true. 
it sort of looks all right. Perhaps I'll be. Perhaps I'll get to bowl a whole two overs of offspin next year and wear my Monmouth Town beanie. I don't care what the weather is. For me, for me, it's all about the look. <laughs> I'm I'm in a great mood because some of my favourite um, films is are on today. We've got Clash of the Titans. Wait, can I try and guess your favourite films? You've said one, Clash of the Titans. Uh, now, what do I know about Mark Wood? Don't look at me. I might. T- you might turn me into stone. You've got that Medusa look about you. He likes owls. He can't. Marzipan bungs him up a bit. Um, he likes bowling in te- uh, Home Alone Two. <laughs> I do like Home Alone Two, but it's not one of the ones. Well, you probably like the Bird Woman. You like the Bird Woman in Central Park. You sort of naturally. She's been. Uh, I've seen that Piers Morgan's been. The beats in that Piers Morgan looks like that woman, and that made me chuckle. <laughs> I'm going to stop you there. Kez. Clash of- <laughs> That's a Harry great Potter. Film. It is. It's a great film. <laughs> no, tell me, tell me, what what are your favourite marks? Uh, so we've got Clash of the Titans Love, on actually. today, which no, uh, <laughs> <Sucking> <laughs> no. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, Clash of the Titans uh, is on today. We've got the Searchers, which is John Wayne. Love John Wayne. He's on today as well. And if I mean they will both be in my top ten. If you were to have maybe uh, Jason and the Argonauts on as well today, then I think I'd have all three covered and I wouldn't need to watch anything else for a week. Is that is that your sort of era? Do you like things like um, Ben Hur? Yeah, I like I like old films. Spartacus. When I, Spartacus, love Spartacus. When I was growing up with my granddads, I used to watch all the John Wayne films and um, and stuff like that. So, yeah, I love I love stuff like that. Which is probably why all the England lads think I'm weird with my taste of music and taste of movies. You're going to have an absolute feast then over the next few days. Okay, let's look at some correspondence. Um, uh, this is about teas. Uh, right, um, this is from Matt Spencer. Hi, Woody and Miles. Uh, I was enjoying listening to your last episode when I felt the urge to get in touch to tell you about the best club cricket tea in Europe. 2018, Ploughman's Cricket Club in Surrey were fortunate enough to go on our tour among the hills of central Portugal. On top of one such hill sits the home of the best club cricket tea in Europe. Amigos Cricket Club set about offering gin and tonics while we sat down to tuck into a buffet of delight. Every item of food you could imagine being mentioned in a story about a good cricket tea was here on display, freshly made or baked to the ground, suitably oversized to feed not just the day's players, but the touring supporters and home fans too. Now, they've actually attached photos of it. Well, that is a spread. I dropped a catch. It was responsible for an overthrow. Also got a duck. It resulted in them dressing me as a fox. But that's a story for another day. <laughs> that's, I'm not sure if he's describing a cricket tour or a stag night. Right. Um, superstitions. Lucky charms. Alex Knott. Hi, Miles and Mark. Love the podcast. And Mark's Ashington accent, which reminds me uh, of home. Um, presumably Ashington is his home. Um, I'm emailing you both with what I hold in my cricket bag, which I believe gives me luck. It is an empty two-litre bottle of Pepsi with an old sock in it. <laughs> I have had this in my bag uh, from a game against... Um, now, what does that say? Bormasund? Uh, apologies. Boomer. That. Uh, that's, that's right around the corner from me, Bormasund. I've had this in my bag from a game against Bumasund in 2017. I just arrived back from holiday in Vietnam the morning of the game and was asked at short notice to play that day. I foolishly accepted despite being jet-lagged and suffering from an unknown tropical disease. I turned up... <laughs> oh my goodness. I turned up at the ground late. We were fielding. Normally I find myself in the covers or mid-wicket, but since I was being violently sick... <laughs> I was sent to fine leg. I was periodically throwing up over the boundary and taking big swigs of the drink for some energy. Turns out the ball gets hit your way a lot when you're chundering. However, I managed two catches and a direct hit followed up with my best batting score despite just wanting to go home and die. Do I do... <laughs> 
To this day, I have no idea how the sock got into the bottle, but it remains in my bag. <laughs> oh, that's excellent. <laughs> that is uh, an extraordinary tale. Um, oh, one of right. the best superstitions I've ever heard that. That's <laughs> right. Um, also from Jonathan Williams. When I was a wicketkeeper, I always had to do a 360-degree turn between each delivery. I just didn't feel at ease and concentrated for the next ball if I didn't do it. Mostly I tried to do it subtly, surveying the field while the bowler returned to his mark, so it was less obvious. However, when the spinners were on, it made it happen somewhat quicker. <laughs> <laughs> An opposition batsman once compared it to a dog spinning before lay- laying down. <laughs> um, that's very ch- like a sort of whirling dervish. Uh, well, thank you very much indeed uh, for, for, your, for your correspondence. Um, do continue to send in uh, correspondence about uh, teas or indeed superstitions, quirks. Now, uh, we this in this episode we've got an, an, an interview, haven't we, Mark? Yes, That's, yes. I've often done before. Should we? Get, should we do you want to give a, a clue to the viewers again, as we normally do? Or? Yeah, I think that's a very good idea. Um, okay, uh, so he's, he's about six foot. David Gower. It's David. <laughs> it is indeed. It's David. David Gower. Uh, that's right. We met him actually. I mean, we should set the scene. This was way back in October. We're way back. So very different, very different world we were living in. And perverse as it seems now, we actually were all in the same room together. Yeah. Which, looking back, in hindsight, knowing what we know now, was, I mean, frankly, no safer than an orgy. Um, (laughs) But presumably about about as pleasurable. I actually remember leaving there. I really enjoyed it and stuff. Um, But it seems like just so long ago that... We did that, and it's just so much has happened, not just in the cricketing world, but in life in general, hasn't it? So then, a little break coming up, and after that we're going to be talking to, um, have you put all the cues together yet, Mark? David Gower. Yes, David Gower, yep. I'd just like to take a moment to thank our sponsors who have helped make this podcast possible. Cricketers Gin is the perfect pairing for Tonic, but also this podcast, as they also believe in creating something enjoyable around the sport we love. Cricketers is an exquisite local gin, a family business, and was inspired during a game of cricket on a sunny village green in Pinkney's, Berkshire. The founders decided that the quintessential British game, along with the wild botanicals growing in abundance nearby, deserved a bespoke artisan gin of its own. Cricketers is distilled to the highest London gin standards, All the ingredients are natural and added before distillation, ensuring it's the purest form of gin, and that Cricketers delivers a beautifully smooth juniper-forward gin. You can find this wonderful cricketing tipple at cricketersgin.com, and we thank them for their support. There is a special 10% discount if you use the code POD. William Hill's Safer Gambling Tools help you stay in control. You can set deposit limits, session reminders, and take timeouts whenever you need them. 18+. plus. Please gamble responsibly. William Hill, it's who you play with. Gower, 99 not out. He's got that one away, and that's his 100. A magnificent 100, full of stroke play. What an innings by David Gower. His team back to the wall, and he has scored his 18th Test 100. He's ninth against Australia. 
I think uh, we should, if, if it's all right with you, we should int- introduce one of the best uh, England players please. ever. Please. Uh, another of the best England players uh, <laughs> ever. Uh, it's uh, David Gower. David Gower, hello. Mars, very good afternoon. Good morning, good evening, wherever we are, whatever we're doing, wherever, I mean, wherever this takes place. Whichever the bubble. <laughs> it's, just, it's, it's all unprecedented, <laughs> uh, every aspect of it. I, now, uh, David, I assume you've been having an excellent lockdown. You, you, you'd laid um, stuff down in is advance. Is that Chateau bottled? Um, yeah. it's, been, it, it's not been as um, bubbled as Mark's experience. Um, obviously, I wasn't required on duty um, anyway, at any stage during the test matches. But it was nice to be able to watch the cricket, for sure. Nice to be able to see actually coverage focused on the game itself, um, which Sky did very, very, very well indeed. I mean, no crowd shots, so Bumble's role was uh, curtailed, rather. <laughs> and not being able to talk to the crowd, you know, for most of the day. Um, but I thought it worked rather well. I thought, actually, credit is due to everyone for getting on the field. And I know it's been said a million times, but the for West Indies and Pakistan to come and help you know, be part of that was extraordinary. So for, the, for those stuck at home, um, for whatever reason, and having cricket to watch, it was great. I was happy in the end that, you know, we got so much cricket in and all that kind of thing. But I look back now and I think, how did I cope with that for so long? I honestly don't know how I did. Would you have coped with that, Fane? Not well, not well. The question was asked whether or not our generation would have been able to cope with the bubble in the same way. Because as Mark so rightly said, whether you're... My age or his age, cricket is the sort of game where you quite like to go out at the end of the day, relax, eat, drink, be merry, come back and compete again the following morning. So with that taken away, the whole rhythm of your game is destroyed. I mean, okay, it saves time not having to book a restaurant. It saves time not having to pick a wine, you know, sort of decide where to go. Um, But I can imagine the Baron of Beef. Um, who, his lordship, who would have been oh, yeah, very, was. very constrained by, even though he might be able to eat in his own restaurant for 30 nights consecutively in Southampton. Um, <laughs> you know, beef is the chain that never was. You know, it's, it's the first one was there and it's still there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, all that, all that sheer repetition, because I'm not great with dull repetition, I have to say. Because also in your in in your day, David, you'd have you'd all have been sharing rooms as well, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have just have been having nothing to do, but I, you'd I have had to do it in the, close proximity. I think with the COVID protocols, that we could have had a very good excuse to abandon that arcane practice. You know, it could have been like you and Paul Downton could have been forced to become a household bubble or, or, or something. <laughs> well, the ones we used to worry about were obviously Beefy, um, who has never never dealt with boredom well, um, but normally through through liquid uh, and other substances. Um, people like Lammy, AJ Lamb, Alan Joseph Lamb, one of England's finest, born in Langerman Vech. Um, you know, Lammy again, the, the, you know, those, those are sort of two of my great friends from that era. And they were neither of them renowned for early nights or allowing any opportunity to pass. So you can imagine, you know, being stuck in your room after an early, early steak at Beefy's and wondering what to watch next, you know, just waiting for dawn would not have been good for them. You mean the games room wouldn't have interested you with the basketball, the darts, the air hockey, the table tennis, the Pac-Man game that we had in there? That that you, that would have interested you every night. No, no, well, no, no. We were I mean, that, that's the sort of thing we used to do in sort of Pakistan in nineteen eighty hmm. something. You know, if you had a table tennis table, something just to do. There's only so much you can do. You can't keep going the nets. I mean, oh God, heaven forbid. <laughs> 
<laughs> Perhaps in lockdown you'd have been so bored, David, that you would have would gone have to Nets. <laughs> well, I have to try at some point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, of course, we've just been discussing uh, uh, beefies. What were your feelings recently when um, uh, uh, your erstwhile colleague, Ian Botham, um, became a member of the House of Lords? I mean, in a way, not surprising, is it? Because... You know, if you think about Ian Botham, one of the first things you always think is, now there is a man that venerates democracy. Um, it's all about... It's, yeah, what, it's, what, what does everyone else think, is what Ian Botham always I, says. <laughs> yes. it's, it's a fascinating thing. I've, been, I've obviously known Ian for a long time, 40-odd years. And during those 40-odd years, every now and again, over a curry and a huge quantity of red wine, we've listened to some of his political ideas. And they've been quite radical. In fact, they've been extremely <laughs> radical, um, and they've not really made it to the mainstream. Um, and what, what's... So not, until I mean, Trump's ascendancy and, to and, the presidency. <laughs> the and, until the Donald made them seem reasonable. What interests me about him is that he has always taken on challenges. So this to me, is, this or this to him is potentially another challenge. But he doesn't really like London much, so it's a bit, a bit awkward to get to the House of Lords if you don't like London. Um, and I don't know how many, how many sort of his many interests he's going to actually want to speak on. But when he gets involved, I'm sure he will get involved with a passion. Um, but I mean, there's a lot of, there is, if you are honest about the job, there is a lot of stuff that is deadly dull. You know, stuff that comes through the Commons, goes into the Lords, needs to be read, debated, thought about, sent back again. I mean, that is the mundane business of the Lords. And, and he's got to do it wearing the same costume he was wearing in Bournemouth pantomime nearly 30 years ago. Oh, I think I watched him there. I, I think I saw that wooden performance too. It was a, <laughs> I mean, it was, it was, it was healthy. Those, I mean, those panto days, and they've drawn us luckily onto something much, much less serious. Those panto days, I genuinely went to watch Ian Botham in pantomime in Bournemouth with Robin Asquith, who is a great mutual friend of ours, um, who is a very, very funny man, a classic. I mean, he's much better than just being a, a panto actor. Max Boyce, oh. who'd written, directed, cajoled, coached. Uh, and I do it like this, Ian. You know, he, 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 he somehow got Ian into performance mode for the panto. And all, all that Robin... Oh, no, he didn't. Got you. Uh, <laughs> I got you that, Dave. Oh, got you, oh, you see that bad. <laughs> Straight in there. Oof. Oh, God. <laughs> Can you edit that? Just yeah. edit that out, please. <laughs> <laughs> You'd be a good buttons, I think, Mark. And, uh, I think you'd be very good sort of being cheeky yeah. during the song sheet. I couldn't help like myself. That. I couldn't help but myself. I remember, so. I remember Asquith found that the hardest thing to do, pantomime with Ian Botham, because yeah, Asquith and, and, and Boyce would work their nuts off through the game, yeah, through the, the game, you know, the performance, the drama, the panto for you know, two hours. And with Asquith, it normally went two hours, went into three, because he'd ad-libbed so much that the thing would go on forever. Beefy did his sort of 10-minute stint with a pissing dog and would spray the audience and you know, wander off and have a beer. And when they all came off knackered, he would say, right, come on, lads, time for a drink. So, I mean, you know, this is the Ian Botham experience transferred from the cricket field to the theatre, which we've all had to deal with for 40 years. And it is not just, you know, the six, seven hours on the field during the day that you have to cope with. It is the six, seven hours that follow up where he goes at the same pace and always has done which is an extraordinary feat of human endurance. And now he's been given a job in a building full of several publicly subsidised bars. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't see anything going particularly uh, wrong. Uh, you won't uh, like the fact they have to close at 10 at the moment. Yeah. <laughs> um, look, David, we've got an extraordinarily quick bowler here, yep. uh, Mark. Um, <laughs> Thanks yeah, for clearing that up, mate. Just in case, <laughs> I, I know people think... I had to look to both sides of the room <laughs> there to make sure you know, who I was looking at there. <laughs> Um, I, I was obviously you two have played a very different eras. There's been like an, an era bet between you, I suppose. When you're mm. watching someone like Mark 
Can you think about how you... I mean, you, you've faced seriously quick... Who's the qu- quickest player you faced? Um, take your pick from uh, Michael Holding, Andy Roberts, Malcolm Marshall, uh, Joel Garner, Colin Croft, Sylvester Clark, uh, Wayne Daniel. Of they played a lot of bowlers um, in those days, didn't they? They can't be they're, they're, a bit light on the batting. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, these are the thoughts I would have been left alone with in my room in the bubble. Which, <laughs> yeah. I'd have been screaming, at the, you know, clawing at the window. That's a horrible sound you get from fingernails on, wind, How, on windows. But, but, but they yeah, you faced a lot of yeah. pace, yeah. Like, pro- yeah. proper pace. Yeah. But yeah. Mark is that's that's proper pace, yeah. isn't it? They're not they're not hitting ninety five consistently as consistently as Mark. Mm, I bet you they did. You didn't have the speed gun on them then. Well, I suppose you. you I, let's call you two the cricket guys. If that's what you say, that's yeah, what you say. <laughs> I think the serious point is this. There's not much point in trying to split hairs between 1985, say, and the current day because the odd mile an hour, the odd sort of yard of pace, when they're quick, when you're Mark's pace um, and you're noticeably quick, then it's the same for any batsman in any era. Your heart rate goes up. You're, you, know, you know you have just that split second less than you had against the ordinary sort of medium pacers to do something about it. Um, fear and anxiety come back into play. Um, and if you've got the ability, as the modern-day bowler has, to make things happen. I mean, there were people... I mean, the, great, the greatest I thought of that West Indies era was probably Malcolm Marshall because he was so good at adapting to any condition. You know, quick pitch, he could bowl quick. Slow pitch, he could pitch it up and swing it and seam it and stuff. Um, and the sort of the great, the great Pakistanis, um, Wazim Akram, Vakar Yunus, you know, they had pace. They, I mean, watching, for instance, Wazim do masterclasses now for Sky, you, know, you just see it, the ball in his hand, down it goes, three paces, down it goes swinging. Um, I saw Matthew Hoggard playing for the Lord's Taverners at uh, Wormsley, and he doesn't run up to the, the crease anymore. He takes two steps walking and gets into an action, which... Again, this ball just swings. You know, so the natural ability to to do something with a cricket ball never seems to disappear. So, if you combine that sort of ability with this sort of pace we're talking about, a mark and any of that sort of era, any of that sort of ilk rather, then that that whatever the generation, whatever the year, whatever the decade, whatever the century, that creates problems. Mark's at the top of his delivery. You're in your pomp. Uh, what are you hoping for? What are you dreading? Well, you dread in his case. You dread the skiddy bouncer. Because the one that's, you know, the easy bouncer to play, it doesn't matter whether you're you know, 60 miles an hour or 90 miles an hour or 100. The easy one is sort of the loopy one that goes high and wide and you just see it from the hand and you know it's never going to hit you. The nasty one is the one that either sort of follows you or doesn't really get up as high as you suspect it would. So if you've got his sort of pace and his sort of trajectory, you're not necessarily ducking as confidently as you might. You might try and sway, but the... I mean, any batsman, even, you know, even the greatest in the world, will tell you that you, know, he's gonna, you, you acknowledge you're going to get into trouble at some stage. One's going to be in just the wrong place, just the awkward height or whatever it might be. And if it hurts, it hurts. As long as it doesn't do too much damage, it's fine. You start again. Um, and all you really want is, in my case, is something sort of length, the tiny little bit of width, just a little bit offline. We sort of just time it and use, use the pace to get the ball away. So he's dreading the skiddy bouncer. What are you, if you're bowling Mark to David and his pump, what, what, are, you, what are you starting My off? hands are sweating just now thinking about it. I think, obviously, um, with the most elegant cover drive in the game, I'd almost want the ball up there just, just so he could hit one. I'd just be like, wow, 
Right, I've just yeah. bought the David Goa cover drive. Yeah, this and first, this first one's David. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was just saying yeah, before we much. came on, we were talking about uh, Mark Struscothic, weren't we? And um, how he, I mean, I still wake up in the night sometimes screaming, hearing him just shout, run. Because that means that he's timed it through the covers for four. I mean, you often think that you're going to get him out because he doesn't move his feet and um, you think his strength's a weakness, but when he times it, oh, it's a. And, you know, going back to David's point before about fast bowling, I think even nowadays, because lads, they've got all the protective gear on, which they didn't always have in David's era, they've, we've got the dog sticks now that lads really ramp that up to bowl at 80 odd 90 mile an hour so that they're used to now bowling machines you're getting used to your eyes and getting used to the pitches the fast indoors the training pitches outside you're getting used to that pace so the one thing that you've got to have is not just straight up and down pace otherwise you, mm. the the best players in the world now you're not going to get them out so you have to find a way whether it's on a slow pitch a fast pitch a seaman pitch of trying to you know get the ball off the straight which is you know in my career something which I've I've not done notoriously well at which is something that I'm trying to work you look at the likes of Broad Anderson I mean they would seem the ball on glass so you've got to try and find something in your armory to try and get that ball off the straight because pace is great but on, against your top top players like David was it's it's not going to get them out you have to get that ball to move a little bit as well possibly just veering in the direction of second slip or something oh would that, that would be, be beautiful be just After the, the cover drive, though, I've got to have at least one where, it, yeah, where yeah. I'd be sort of angry at him, but sort of happy at the same. Oh, good <laughs> shot, <laughs> David! Because <laughs> you, play, you yeah. played recently, didn't you? you? Played in South Africa. It's a very loose term. Um, <clears throat> I, yeah, I'd taken the view for a long, long time that my best days were behind me, and that's where they were best left. Yeah. <laughs> and I, you know, for a couple of years after I retired from professional cricket, played. Some very good benefit games, some of them quite you know, against good players and so quite nice standard, therefore competitive. And then you start to go downhill and you're playing in games that are rubbish and you get no enjoyment from it. And I thought, stop. After 20 odd years of saying no fervently, in the, in the, going back to Cape Town where you hope to go in the new year, we were there with the Lord's Taverners, having a very nice party one night in a garden in Bishop's Court, which you can imagine is beautiful. Uh, a couple of stumps in the, in the lawn, tennis ball, that sort of stuff knocking it to all parts, and someone said, Paul Pritchard, actually, who captains the taverners overseas. Pritch said, um, come on, Lubo, you can have a game tomorrow, can't you? I said, no, 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 no. Come on, mate. Following day, having done, you know, stint umpiring, immaculately counted to six several times and correctly, come the tea break, come on, Lubo, you can do it. So I found myself sticking, borrowing whites, sticking pads on, which I could vaguely remember how to do it, borrowing, you know, they're the right sort of size and shape, um, borrowing a left-handed pair of batting gloves, looking at a bat, thinking, yes, I can still lift this, uh, putting the sunglasses on with the prescription lenses and the white floppy hat, whereas Pritch is there with a the helmet again. So I take that off, come on, you're embarrassing me. So I walked out to open the innings, you know, with Pritch, who's now mighty happy. And I was quite nervous. I'm very, very nervous because you think, well, I haven't done this for so long properly. And what I would have preferred would have been to have someone sort of brisk medium... Yeah, just sort of a length, just sort of get you into the rhythm. But the guy at the other end, who's, I think, a very fine player in his day, but you know, well past 50 now, bowled one of those slow, loopy, medium pace, vaguely swinging deliveries, where I sort of looked at it, 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 looked at it a bit longer, failed to move my feet, missed it. And if the umpire had been doing his job properly, that would have been the end of it. 
because it was as plumb as you <laughs> fucking like. You know, it, was just, you know, it was, and he uttered the immortal words, no, we've come to see him bat, so not out. No, um, so I then got a full toss, hit that for four, got a short one, ping that over mid-wicket, and then was just starting to enjoy it. And this is the lesson for all those that make comebacks, just starting to enjoy it, getting into a bit of rhythm, and there was a guy at the other end who was sort of fast medium. I, you know, I was quite ping, back foot, inside edge, onto the stumps, end of story. So you wander off, do the typical thing, wander off, and this sort of brings back old memories as well. You wander off, um, and I never know the, which is worse, low dudgeon or high dudgeon. I was not happy. I was sulky. So I wandered off, sulked for half an hour in the dressing room, threw the pads into one corner, gave the bats back to the owner of the bat. Did it all come back to you, though? Could you still remember how to really smash up a dressing room when you were in there? <laughs> <laughs> Chuck all that, the coffins out of the balcony. thrown into the corner. <laughs> um, I, well, I remembered, yeah, you do remember... Um, for one who's meant to have had a reputation of being cool, calm, collected and laid back, you do remember the times where you are really, really angry at getting out. Um, mainly because mainly it's your fault and you're aware it's your fault. Because I always took the view, if, the, if, you know, if a Mark Wood or someone bowled you something that was largely unplayable and you nicked it, well, well bowled. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to lose sleep over that. But when you, you're, when you know you've done something heinously wrong yourself as a batsman, that's the time you beat yourself up. So, yeah, there were times I used to take it out on dressing room walls and this, that and the other. Stokes, Stokes he's got one frame, doesn't he? At, um, is it Eden Garden in New Zealand? It's, he punched a, a, his bat, he like punched the bat into the wall and the bottom oh. of his bat shape went into the wall and they framed it and said... This was Ben Stokes, 20... Oh, yeah, artwork donated by yeah. Ben Stokes. Well, yeah. Yeah. well there, did Hayden do it as well? Did Hayden smash a door at the SCG? Mm. NASA, NASA's got form. Yeah, bins and stuff. NASA. Bins and all sorts, yeah. Well, Pryor um, as well. <clears throat> I mean, Pryor threw a bat that bounced Lord, up. Lords, I mean, that window, actually, that's the same window I used to change by. It's been a good corner, that. Roots, Roots sits there now, David Gower. Mm-hmm. It's a good, there's plenty of runs in that corner. I'm obviously sat in the wrong place. I've never, I've never, I mean, I would know, how would I ever have been in there? That's the, as everyone, you'd have a set place then, always. We do, yeah. A lot of the lads do. Every ground around the country and every away ground, especially the senior players. Test they would values. Have, I mean, if you've got like yeah. a bench you like to sit on at Derby. <laughs> <laughs> no, but lords, lords I do, yeah. Lords I've tried two or three different places. And it's when the hierarchy kicks in. Does, someone does, say, you, can't, you can't yeah. sit there. That's, definitely, that definitely well, no, happens. If you're, if you're that's playing... the Derek Pringle seat or whatever it is. You can't. <laughs> it's the one with the books. And, yeah, yeah. Um, if, yeah, there's a hierarchy, as you say, because if you're coming in for your first, te- first test match at Lords, you hang back to see where there's a space. And if the, you know, the guys who've played for the last 10 years go to their places, well, you look for that space and you go, OK, I'll go there. And then you... If you are good enough to last for another few seasons, you eye up a spot where you'd like to go when you get to that seriously high rank. Absolutely I'd like to, right. I'd like to sit in that spot where Matt Pryor doesn't hurl bats at me. That would be really... <laughs> if you got even yeah. a brawler, like with the SCG or somewhere, would you, would you have the same place where you would sit? Um, not quite in the same way, um, but you'd still have sort of first choice. I would say, I would say yeah. Al- Alistair Cook had a spot in Australia a couple of times because he'd done well there. And when we then yeah. went back there, because he'd done well in that seat, he wanted to sit in that seat again. So I think that's pretty standard mm. practice, that if you've done well somewhere or you've sat somewhere... But is that superstitious? Got... Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, you will, you will do anything, batter or bowler, to recreate the perfect circumstance to repeat what you got right last time if you go back there. So I mean, that's... One reason, if you, I suppose, if you, if you found your spot at Lords and kept getting naught, you might decide to move. 
Um, but if you, get, if you go to the SCG, MCG, wherever, and you get hundreds, and you, get, and you are lucky enough to be there four years later when the next tour is on, then you'll say, right, excuse me, I need to sit here, please. Um, I mean, all those superstitions, I, mean, I don't know what they're like nowadays. I mean, mine were ridiculous. I mean, socks, pads. Um, there was nothing you wouldn't wear. I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, someone Monday, else's, yes, someone yes, else's pads, bags. Well, yes, yes. See, the wrong superstitions. <laughs> That's where it went wrong in Cape Town, you know. Um, you know, you'll do anything to keep your mind believing that it's going to be a good day. So what I'm, I'm fascinated though, the, the idea the first time you walk, you walk into, because it's the start of something, but it's also the culmination. You know, if you, if you dream of playing for England, then the thing, you know, there's the actual on the field stuff, but you're like, it's putting on the sweater and stuff. And mm-hmm. yet that's only the start of the, the thing. It's I like remember my first time in the Lords and where people sat. I still remember it now walking in. And so who's in it, your first dressing room? So it like it, as you go into the Lords, obviously up the stairs, and then you go into the, through the door, and there's a big table in the middle. Um, and it's sort of the seats follow the room around, so it's sort of bends the chairs bend around the room, and there's a long bench on the back, um, and on the on the back bench it was um, Cook, Anderson, Broad, Stokes, Plunkett, my first game, and then Bell sat as you go in straight in. Bell was in front, and on the opposite side where I'm assuming David sat at the window is where Joe Root sat. Moan Ali was next to the physio bed. Um, so I can remember a lot of where people sat and I took the first space next to the door because it's that's I sort of assumed that well everyone's piled in I'll just sort of plump myself here nice and quietly it's my first game and then now I sit on that back bench um, near where Liam Puckett and uh, Joss Butler used to sit because that's I didn't do well in that spot I kept getting injured so I thought right I'm not sitting there anymore um, I keep getting whacked here at Lords. I'm not going to sit here I'm going to sit there and since I've sat there we uh we won the World Cup, so I'll be staying there from now on. So who's the first person then to say, you know, welcome or hello? When you first stepped into the England camp, who was the, what was the first sort of happy welcoming face? Um, so we have, uh, it wasn't a very happy and welcome, but Phil Neal, the team manager, is the first person to greet you. And he's a bit of a, 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 a he'll do anything for you, but he's a bit of a dour character. All right, I'm Phil, nice to meet you. Um, your kid's there, uh, sit there, such and such is there. Um, trains at 10 o'clock, see you soon. Yeah. So it's like, all right, okay. And then, of course, the captain and everyone comes up to you. Alistair Cook was the captain at the time. And, um, he sort of was like, uh, any questions, just come find me. But I knew a few of the lads from, obviously, Durham and... Um, played, yeah, so you knew Pl- Plunkett and stuff. Yeah, and, and played age groups against Root and uh, Bastow was my age and stuff like that. So um, I, w- I didn't play for Durham as a kid. I played for Northumberland. So growing up, um, we would play the likes of Mighty Yorkshire and we would always have to bowl first because we'd be all out for 30 um, for Northumberland <laughs> so it was um, I knew a lot of their lads and um, lo- looked up to a lot of them in a way thinking oh, I don't think I'll ever get to that standard there you know they're playing for the mighty Yorkshire they're all this good and it wasn't until I started going through the Durham ranks and started bowling a bit quicker that I eventually thought you know what it is I can I can compete with these guys then I get picked up with the England Lions and I'm thinking well I don't, I don't think I'm good enough to be here and then you get into, into it and you think actually I can hold my own. I am just as good as a, a, a Onions, a Plunkett, a Bresnan, who are all there. I can compete with them. Then you get up to England and the same thing happens. Um, it isn't until you do well, I would say, at England. I don't know. Obviously, David started really well. so But I was I didn't particularly start that well. So it wasn't until I got that five out under my belt that I felt like I truly belonged, which is quite a strange feeling. So is that where the, does the belief come from 
things that you've all, that you've achieved? Do you have to achieve something you don't know you can achieve? Not to necessarily. Believe? I think or at, in, at England field? level, I felt like that, but not at the other levels. At the other levels, I felt like I could compete by you know the, the way that I trained, the way that I went about things, my mindset. I felt like I was they had the same doubts and that as me. Whereas at England level, the pressure is just that little bit more. It's a little bit different. Um, you obviously get the scrutiny and the. Uh, in your heart of hearts, you believe in your inner self that you are good enough, but you then don't show that reputation, which then can create problems and then that can spiral. So I think then when eventually that five, five or hundred or something like that does come, I mean, I can think of James Vince, Mark Stoneman. These are lads who are definitely good enough to play for England, um, but just never got that 100 under their belt. I think David went off like an absolute train, didn't he? So... You, maybe you scored 100 in your second game, did you? Or 50, 50 in your first innings. Right? Yeah, to be fair, one of, one of the, the lucky things was that it was the time of World Series, Packer, and all that. So teams that we played against were not necessarily at full strength. So Pakistan, against whom I made my debut, had no Imran uh, as one major example because he was part of World Series. Um, I saw his stats the other day. Imran's Mm. stats as captain Mm -hmm. are absolutely astonishing. I can't remember any of them, but they are. (laughs) But I I can remember the adjective. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But so, I mean, and we we beat them reasonably easily. So I only had one innings per game for the first three games. And then we played New Zealand, who were a decent side, but would get better. And that first 100 came in the first test against New Zealand. So that was... I mean, that's, that's right. It's whatever, you know, the sooner you get to that landmark, the better it is and the, the, more, the more quickly you feel part of the, the right environment. So you're, you're 20 when you make your England 21. debut. 21. Yeah. Can, you, can you remember as vividly? What, no. What's the dressing room? <laughs> can you remember anyone else who played? Uh, no. Um, no, I mean, there were people. My first test match was at Birmingham, Edgbaston. Yeah, Leah Katali. Um, uh, Leah Katali was, yeah, who's he? Um, famous, famous quiz question, of course, but Leah Kat was the man who bowled the first ball. Um, I remember the commentary from, was it John Arlott on the radio said, a princely entry into test match cricket. Um, it just takes you back, back takes you back, back, doesn't it? Um, and, but, then, yeah, but answering the same question as you asked, asked to Mark, people like Bob Willis were there. So Bob's one, you know, come do this. You know, it's, you know, it's a bit of a guiding hand. Um, Cyril, otherwise known as Graham Roop, was um, having his little bit of an England career at the time and the sort of un- unlike the sort of modern era where you're there for sort of three or four days in a normal year as opposed to sort of three weeks of a bubble but yeah you know, three or four days before a game together practicing training eating all the rest of it it was you know Wednesday afternoon cup of tea at three quick net maybe a couple of catches another cup of tea team dinner play so after team dinner that first night I remember Cyril took me for a, a sort of quick glass, anything you need to know, um, you know, you're nervous, yeah, a little bit, yeah, blah, blah. Um, so it's so a calming pint of <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, a little bit, Bob, for England, yeah, a little yeah, bit, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's just a game of cricket, it's just a bit of fun. A couple of the rules I'm still a bit <laughs> unsure of, <laughs> and I feel I'm in too deep now Off-side? to ask. <laughs> Offside? <laughs> what is the L yeah. in LBW? <laughs> <laughs> so, so, but you, you, but you have just, it just takes someone to as it were, put either a physical or a mental arm around you and say, come on, you'll be fine. So who's the most intimidating person in that dressing room? I mean, already you'd shared a dressing room with Ray, Ray Lingworth by that point. Was he? Yeah. Um, I don't know, I suppose, I mean, Bob, I mean, bless him, the late, great Bob Willis. Bob was, as, as so many people said on his death, you know, was a very, very good man with 
a very warm heart and a keen sense of wanting everyone to do well, both as a colleague and later on briefly as a captain. So yes, he would be you know, keen to welcome you, but also quite brusque um, and quite intimidating because his method, you know, if you remember Bob, you know, that sort of bubble of his own, that sort of um, little area surrounding his head, which he immersed himself in when he was bowling. I mean, he was a very intimidating-looking person. And so if he was... Um, and his style, you know, the TV style, which we all loved in the end, I mean, the, the style was always brusque. Underneath it was this warm, beating heart that wanted you to do well. But he had high standards, therefore, you know, he would look at you very quickly, and if you weren't pulling your weight even in your first game... You know, there would be a stare. There would be some sort of, you know, some sort of reaction that would, you'd realise you needed to up your game a bit. Because you, you told me something about playing... Um, heading the 81, I mm-hmm. said that was an unbearable pressure. Mm-hmm. Like, so watching the Super Over, yeah. say, for instance, I thought the pressure of this is unbelievable. And then I kind of thought, what would it be like to be on pitch? You, I asked you once about being on the pitch at the end of heading the 81... And you said something to me that makes me understand what it's mm. like being a sports person. Because I said, oh, what are you thinking? And you said, it must be so terrifying. And you said, well, the great thing about being on the pitch is the ball could come towards you and I know I would catch it and then we'd win. <laughs> Whereas in my head I was thinking, the last thing I would want to happen if I was on the field of play would be the ball to come anywhere near me. Whereas you have that kind of, you know, that desire. So well, that, of course you didn't go yeah. out for the super over. But, <laughs> yeah. but yes, still, you must have had a terrific seat, Mark. You must yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no better than yours. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Um, now, I think the, the thing I would say about Bob Willis there was like, we, from a player's point of view, we, we used to think that, God, he's been a bit harsh on we're at times there. And then I went for food with him, Broad and Anderson. We did like a fast ball as thing to speak to Bob about bowling and give us some advice. And he was literally our biggest fan. Hmm. It, it was, I was like, this is the same guy that says like, well, lengths are rubbish, well, lines are rubbish, all this kind of, and it was the part he was playing for the TV. He's but bowled un- like a drain, he's yes. fielded like a donkey. Exactly, but underneath it, he was our biggest supporter, wanted us to do well, um, and actually give us some nice tips and advice when I didn't think that he was like that. I suppose um, so the neutrality is part uh, of the job, isn't it? Well, uh, I was going to well, ask David as, part, as hmm, being part yeah. of Sky, it must be hard being an ex-player to then comment on players and you you know what it's like, but you're having to give an opinion. Yeah. It must be quite difficult. Not there. for long. I think there is that. I mean, going back to Bob very briefly, um, it's because he cared. That's mm. the first thing. And he cared that England did well, do well, and always will do well. And he, you know, he set very high standards. The, when you make the transition, um, the initial problem is that you're now talking about people who you might have been in a dressing room a year ago, six months ago, alongside them. Uh, but you learn very quickly that um, that if you kind of lie, <laughs> I mean, you can soften the blow. You, you, instinctively, you sort of kind of soften your criticism because they are mates and because they're people you know well. Um, but in, you very quickly learn that actually the great, greater audience out there, a lot of them know all about it as well. And if you're pulling your punches, it's very obvious to them. And it's also equally obvious to your producers and to your people, the people next door to you. So actually, very quickly, you, you learn that the only word you need to be aware of is honesty. If you found yourself ever being sort of guided by other principles, then you're, you're going to struggle. I think because ultimately the, the criticism that hurts the most is the criticism that you agree with, isn't mm. it? And you think, oh, no, it's been voiced. You know, I didn't do that well. well we have right. to turn yeah. the TV off now in the dressing room. That's like the coach 
I mean, that's been always mm. been the way since I've been in the team. You watch the footage because you want to see yeah. what's happening. Is the ball swinging? Is it moving? But actually, in the dressing room, as players, we turn the commentary off because, you know, if um, Rory Burns nicks off and he comes into the dressing room and he puts his stuff down and the first thing he hears is, oh, look at Burns' technique here. He's, he's drifted off. The, he knows yeah. in his own head what he's done wrong or what yeah. he needs to work on. I mean, social media social media is massively part of it now, I think, for, for the modern players. And, and, mm-hmm. To I me, mean, that seems terrifying. The idea of being out on a stage like that and then saying people being out of contact. You. Well, imagine if you were on Twitter when at the time you were being captain, the, the mm-hmm. times that you were captain. Mm-hmm. I mean, al- already, the, what's the pressure of being an England captain like? Without without extra well, voices in your in your ear. Uh, if it's going well, it's absolutely lovely. If you're having problems, it's still a nightmare. I mean, if if um, if I've been able to carry a mobile phone at Trent Bridge in 1989, I could have saved having to invite the twelfth man onto the field, who was Gray Thomas. I was kind of buying time and sort of trying to deflect and trying... It was, just, it was a, a desperate tactic. And I got him on and said, do me a favour, will you go to the press box and ask them what the fuck I do next? <laughs> and, he went, and he went, are you serious? I said, no. Just, 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 it's been very nice, thank you very much. But, you know, uh, um, but at least you could have turned the phone on. Not you can, I mean, this is, this is whimsical. And said, well, ah, oh, yes, there's a fella in Yorkshire who suggests that we... What? Well, we might as well try it. Everything else is yeah, failed, yeah. you know. <laughs> Social media adds a, an unwanted dimension to the, the pressure of being judged all the time. If you're playing a test match, you're being judged instantly by TV. Yes, you're being judged instantly by the people watching that TV. You're judged by your colleagues in the dressing room, at least you know, sympathetic and wanting to do well. Um, and in the old days, you had newspapers. So, and the same thing used to happen in a different way where people say, well, don't bother, yeah, don't read the newspapers. If you had a bad day, you don't need to read about it again the following morning before you start your next day, just ignore it. But I guess the same thing applies, which is if someone's written something about you, albeit in an old-fashioned newspaper, and someone else reads it and says, have you seen what so-and-so has written about you? you know, the damage is done again. And so whichever, whichever way you get your criticism fed through to you, you have to still have that strength of mind and purpose and clarity and focus that allows you to start again and believe you're going to have a good day. So, and let's face it, the, the worst thing actually is before anyone else even decides to put their opinions out there, you as an individual, if you're honest with yourself, will know what you've done right or wrong. So actually you're probably already beating yourself up before some poor old bloke has you know, gone for the phone and you know, at Mark Wood, wherever it might be, you're rubbish. Um, so you're already beating yourself up. Therefore, you're already going through the process of how do I repair the damage I think that's the best thing is uh, try and stay off it it would be like most players now but you can't if, you, if you're looking at everything when are you switching off then because you, you're in the game you're disappointed that something's happened you then go to your hotel or you go home and if you're thinking about it all night and you're letting these comments bother you you're then not switching off because then you're thinking about the comments all night you're thinking about how you're going to play the next day so it's a constant then mental battle of when are you actually mentally switching off? Whereas you can be disappointed, and then if it's the end of the day, right, I'm disappointed, you go for some food or a drink or whatever, and then the next day, right, I'm ready to start again. And, and, and are you, When you're out on the field of play, though, are you ever switching off? I'm not going to ask uh, you the same question, David. In, in, <laughs> bet, in between balls, I'd say you do, yeah. You really genuinely yeah. do. Yeah. Because that's in part and part of your, your sort of armour yeah. with switching off between just off I mean, I've, on, I've on, seen on, players on, who off. are never switching off, and they are drained mentally much quicker, much more quickly. Um, if you have that ability to sort of 
focus, play, whether you play and miss, hit it for four, whatever you might do. Unwind, because if you've got Michael Holding going 40 yards back, you've got a lot of thinking to do. So if you're, if you're tense for that, watching him go back to the end of his run, that's a lot of tension. Yeah. Whereas if you can sort of switch off and look around and... I, as someone then, a cricket fan that's been following, I mean, both, both of you as players, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by the difference between the eras in which you play. They, so there are aspects of the game that you play, David, that are unrecognisable to the modern game. And I dare say that uh, the reverse is true. I mean, how, how do you think you would cope, Mark, playing in David's era? Um, I think I would have struggled injury-wise even more, to be honest. Um, I think because of the relentlessness, relentlessness, um, the fact that you know the the physios now we've got three or four. You can go in between. You can you get they come across all across the country. My workload's managed. Whereas then I think I mean I could have this wrong, but I, I think it was sort of like you were seen as soft if you didn't keep bowling. If you weren't on the field all the time, and even when you were sore and injured, if you weren't still out there bowling ninety mile an hour, I, I would guess you were. Th- like seen as soft the fact that you know one percent as the fact that um that, that lifestyle after the game wouldn't have fitted the way that that the teetotal um sort of having to look after my body icing three or four times a night um trying to get my ankle swelling down for the next day i'm not sure that would have really fitted into the team culture or the team environment then um, so you yeah. get through quite a lot of ice at night, don't you? Well, David? I say, yeah, that, that was an obvious link, yes, in a glass. Um, yeah, I mean, things were primitive in comparison 40 years ago. So, the quality of healthcare, the quality of management in terms of player management, time and effort and fitness and all the rest of it, very, very different. I would have enjoyed central contracts, I think. Um, and I remember. I mean, that infamous, that famous, famous, famous 81 test at Headingley. Everyone at the end of that day, you know, there's champagne to be drunk, but not too much because everyone was getting into a car at the end of that game and going to the other end of the country to play an at-west game somewhere potentially. Well, you know, you had to go and play a game the following day. I just couldn't believe that. I, I can't, I can't mm. believe that, that, that they would have done that like then. Even they, how, how as a bowler could you remain fresh? Or bowl, you're no. constantly bowling at 70% then, and especially the intensity of the way people of a, say, why does Angus Fraser always look so tired? And you're like, <laughs> because presumably he's yeah. bowling 25 overs a day from mid-April till yeah, September. And he does have a naturally tired face, but yeah. So, <laughs> um, but no, it's right. It's, it was a very different thing where, um, and again, so just the era before me, as people like, as you say, Illingworth was my captain at Leicester, uh, Brian Close for Beefy at Somerset. Um, and things like pain were you know, not acknowledged. So, you know, if, if you had as a bowler, you have pain pretty much all the way through your career. So, as players, um, then, would you both rather have played in this this era? Do you think you seem to be playing in absolutely the right era for you? I, I think personally, I would. I think I would have enjoyed maybe the some of the pitches because there were nowadays they suck the moisture out of them a lot because of the drainage and things. So they haven't got as they don't do as much. But but I think from you know purely being looked after and being able to constantly bowl at high pace and manage my injuries. I think this year I would be a lot better. And I kind of believe that, you know, they would play the next day. You know, mental fatigue, injury, physical, all the things that you think of, I think that's just a bit crazy. If you went from a test match where you're inevitably drained at the end of a test match, good or bad, if you've won, you put a lot of energy in, but you've got the excitement of winning. If you've lost, you've still put energy in and you've got the deflation of losing. And if you've then driven for three hours that night 
and your alarm goes at 7.30 in the morning to get up and play Lincolnshire, and you know, you're not exactly enthused. So, um, again, you have to sort of wait until that moment where you walk out and think, well, can I make this a good day? And that's not the preparation that these guys have nowadays when they're pitching up for any game, actually, be it county or international. I think the, the similarity, I would say, between eras is that you get your sort of superstars, both them and Stokes, I would say... Well, yeah, you, you know, they will play be... alongside these mm. extraordinary sort of talismanic figures that kind of transcend, you know... And you had some of this as, as well, David. It's not... You're not just... They're not just famous to cricketers. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's bigger than that, to cricket fans. I mean, you've obviously watched... you played a lot with both of them. You've watched a lot of yeah. Stokes. How do you think... How do you think they compare? I know he's currently a teammate of yours, but... I think well, I think it's brilliant. I mean, I think in the end, there's a severe danger that my long-standing friend and colleague might be just overtaken because of... Um, because, actually, I'll tell you one big difference at the moment. Ian, when he was young, was instinctive, was fit, was strong, was brilliant. And his record probably, you know, if you say for the first eight years or so, was outstanding. And then as life sort of changed a bit and you know, his last few years, he made the most of his reputation. And I remember that 86-7 tour of Australia where he bowled at uh, the MCG probably two-thirds fit at two-thirds pace still picked up five wickets because the Aussies thought well, it's still beefy. And he bowled loopy bouncers, which got nicked to the keeper, and long hops, which got hit to deep square leg, picked up five. But um, he had that fire, though, didn't he? The 91 2 World Cup, you know. Oh, yeah, no, but, yeah, he's still, he's still going for that. I mean, that 92 2 World Cup in Australia, where he sort of got his mojo back open the innings, became the pinch hitter, picked up wickets. I mean, he loved that. And they should have won that. I mean, that should have been, that should have been England's first World Cup. Uh, against Pakistan at the MCG, but as it well, it just didn't turn out that way. The the thing about Ben, I suspect, is that his sort of strength and fitness, because he work, he's the hardest working cricketer I've heard of. And so, although he's had injuries, yeah, but his attitude to keeping himself fit and his attitude on the field, I think, will sort of sustain him longer, possibly. I just I just can't believe for his work ethic for such a good player you'd think at some point he'll he, he can know he could take a back seat or he's done mm-hmm. enough catching the day the next day mm-hmm. he's taking blinded one-handed catches but yeah. not just one or two yeah. just 30 or 40 to make sure that if he gets that one chance in the game he takes it yeah. same with it and then he'll run do sprints around the ground and things like that. it's just a phenomenal person but I, I cannot be too biased one way or another because one of them's my yeah. chairman and the other one's well, a close friend, so I've got to be careful which one I choose. Let me enjoy the freedom of speech of having known your chairman for a long, long time. The other thing I need to say about Ian, in a sense, it's slightly flippant, is that his career lasted about 30 years because it didn't stop at 6 o'clock of the evening. Yes. <laughs> yeah, full on, all day, every day. Proper air miles. Um, yeah. So yeah, the genuine all-rounder. That's, I think that's the thing with yeah. both of them as well. It's yeah. like the influence matches, key moments, um, things where you think you're, you're beaten, he you never ever gives up. And, I'm, and that's the same with Beefy. I think you know, it wasn't just the fact that there were great cricketers and... Um, well, the ability to make the, the, other people ability, believe. But it was I mean, that's, everything that's else the work of a yeah. cult leader, yeah. isn't yeah. it? You know, everything it's else a rare that comes gift. with it, exactly, yeah. Who would have been someone that you would have looked at in your dressing room, any dressing room you played in, thought, I would love to be more like that person? Ooh, um, good question. I, 
if I say, I, I'll duck it by saying, I didn't really think that way. I would look round, I mean, both of them as the, um, as you say, cult figure in our dressing room, was the one who would stand up at any moment of, you know, crisis and say, right, I'll leave it to me, I'll sort them out. I'll bounce them out. Um, yeah, it didn't always work. But, um, I mean, some of those team meetings were fueled by things other than reason. Um, <laughs> uh, and so you have to kind of take that and understand it, but it's that spirit. I mean, and whereas, you know, Ben, we have you know, the distinct impression, of what, you know, the wild days are over as far as Ben is concerned. Um, and you just, you, know, you, just look, you just look up to someone like that to make something happen. The difference is also that I suspect Ian, who opened the bowling for a lot of his first part of his, first part of his career, Ben is now settling into a role as your third-stroke four-seamer and being looked after. So he's, he's going to make more runs, and he ain't going to challenge in the same way for the sheer number of wickets, probably, because of the balance of the team. So unless the balance of that team changes... Uh, at the moment, it doesn't look like you know the three seamers and two spinners thing is going to get many outings. Um, whereas for us in the mid '80s, I mean, I found as captain that that suited the era and suited the people we had available. Yeah, you know, some of our really good times in the '80s. So we had Edmonds and Embry available, and we'd have both of them as the all-rounder and two other proper quick bowlers. And you were sort of happy to captain difficult characters, I suppose, like Edmonds. Well, I, other I people, enjoyed that. Yeah. Philip. I mean, Philippe. I loved captioning Philippe um, because he was, it was... The interesting thing to me was that um, he and Brearley didn't get on because Philippe was a very challenging character. I mean, they're both intellectual giants. Um, and Philip, Philippe loved an argument. But if you got drawn into the argument, or sort of sucked into it, you know, it's, like, it's, it's like sort of a uh, piece of cheese in front of the mouse. You know, here's the trap. You know, that was the worst thing. If you accepted that your intellect was slightly less than his and just... You know, just talk normally to him. He was fine. And I, I, I took Philippe to India 84-5, and I had a fantastic time, enjoyed him immensely. We had four good months out there, won the series, and he was very much part of that. Whereas Brearley found him, just didn't, you know, didn't, find the, didn't really find the key. So you know, Brears would quite often just leave him out. Philip would get angry, and they'd sort of ignore each other for five days and then try again. Um, I just, just I, I quite enjoyed that. I mean, I think the... That is actually, having said that, the art of captaincy, which Brearley was brilliant at. I mean, Brearley's as good as I've seen, uh, admittedly, right at the start of my career. So you believe that they're God because everything they say seems like you know, wisdom. Um, as your career develops, I think you start to challenge people more readily. But um, I just enjoyed the part where you have all these different people. And yes, you find some easier to deal with than others. And some speak your language, and if you haven't, if you haven't, I mean, I don't mean literally, but you know, I suppose nowadays it's almost relevant. But if you, if you, to get inside someone's head, you need to be able to sort of work out what the key is. What you know, is it stick or carrot? Is it um, you know, long words, short words, whatever, whatever it might be? You've got to find a way to find a level. Mark, final question mm. from you to David. Uh, well, I, I originally wanted to ask, would he ask long or short words to me? Because obviously the long <laughs> words would be particularly challenging. No, I just want to ask you, out of all of the places that you've played and been, which one would you, which ground, what was your favourite ground? Which one would you love to play out one more time? Um, I think the SCG. Uh, I had a lot of fun in Australia in all sorts of ways, a lot of runs in Australia. I love the way they play the cricket down there. Um, and Sydney still has... 
a little bit more of the history evident at the ground. I mean, they've all changed dramatically in the last 40 years. Um, playing at Melbourne's extraordinary just for the sheer numbers that come in on Boxing Day. Um, but the, the Sydney Cricket Ground has something with that old pavilion. So, I mean, there's something... I mean, for instance, Melbourne, if you go in the dressing rooms now, well, they're basically new. At Sydney, you could still go into that dressing room and imagine Bradman and Hutton and Hobbs and Compton and... You know, all the you know, sort of the great legends of the game from 30, 40 years ago. In my it's case, like, it's like wooden, yeah. isn't it? Wooden, yeah, wooden benches, a lot of wooden. wooden. I mean, they've, they've refurbished a bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm hoping they've done it again by now. But mm. there was still, you know, you could still look at the locker, thinking, "Why don't you use that?" You know, there was, that, there was that sort of feeling about. And you come, you walk out, you know, with past the iron railings, down the side onto the field, you know, through the picket fence, uh, you know, into the field of abuse. Um, and it, I just loved that. I just loved that atmosphere and that challenge. I mean, I used to find that very, very inspiring. One of my favourite hundreds was at Sydney uh, on the Gooch tour of 1991 um, for all sorts of reasons. Actually, hey, it was a pretty good hundred. And B, we were having Atherton's a, first tour. First uh, Atherton was he was at the other end for most of that. I think he was on about eleven by the time you got out. No, he was he was on about sixty when I got out there, and we vied for the hundred, sort of ninety nine, ninety nine, and oh, thank you very much. How would you know that about Athenton, Miles? I'm quite a big fan of my class. <laughs> Who, well, because <laughs> David is Michael Atherton's hero, and Michael Atherton is my hero, so David is my sort of grand hero by that. So he did. So he did. Day, yeah. I don't yeah. feel old at all. Um, actually, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Michael's too. Now we're talking about him. I think he's outstanding as a writer, outstanding as a judge of a game of cricket, and, and the way he talks about it, I think he's right up there. Okay, now, yeah. David, do yes. you know what time it is? <laughs> do, do you know what time it well, is? Do you know what time it is? I know what time it is. Um, um, it's time for Mark Wood's Super Over. Well, hey. da, 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 da. <laughs> By the barest of margins. Right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> right. You've got to do that every week now. Yeah, well, I reckon I could, uh, That was not bad. I thought that was very action, good. Eh? That I was very I good. Right. Oh, is that what it was? Fine, man. Right, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I just want you to bang out your answers as quick as you can. On your marks. Are you ready, Miles? I'm re- yeah, I've said the rules are no thinking. So, no thinking, David. Are just you speak. answering for me? Or, no, or, I'm just... I'm just, I'm just re- you're keeping the... Um... I'm, going to do, I'm in charge of the time. I'm going to keep it on my Fitbit, which is... It's had a quiet day so far. Um, <laughs> so I, uh, the rules of this are... What, what is your resting heart rate at the moment? It's uh, 97, but oh I am with two God. legends. Um, so... <laughs> um, no, no thinking, only no speaking. Thinking. Is that fair? Yep. On your marks. Oh, oh no, think? that's all I've done is turn the notifications on. Hang on. <laughs> <laughs> on your marks, get set, go. Mr. David Gower, favourite drink? Uh, Lynch bars. Uh, music band? Genesis. TV show? QI. Any superstitions? Yes. What were they? <laughs> <laughs> um, left pad on first. Great. Any addictions? Uh, Lynch bars. Oh, nice. Uh, favorite school lesson? Mm, uh, free time. <laughs> Any good quotes or inspirations? Smile, it confuses people. Nice. Would you rather whistle, clap, click, or hum? Hmm. <laughs> who is your worst roommate, or who would be your worst roommate? Uh, both of them. Nice. Uh, Any fashion disasters? Very, very, very baggy jeans. Okay. Uh, favorite childhood toy? Teddy. <laughs> <laughs> Hot bath or cold shower? That's Hot 60, bath. That's 60 seconds. I think we should go for 90. I'm loving okay, it. Okay, okay. Well, we're nearly done. 
Uh, name two types of trouser. <laughs> well, there was the flare and the um, the drain pipe. And your favourite TV owl. Wall. <laughs> is I mean, is, I don't know a TV owl. By the barest of margins. <laughs> Time off. You, do you know what? 85 seconds you have completed Mark Wood's super over in. That is very, that is very impressive, David. And nothing's <laughs> would, nothing's uh, come along since Genesis to tickle your fancy, David. Oh, was that, a lot. Was, don't worry. I mean, I've just, yeah, but it was just... Uh, that wasn't it was thinking. Quick fire round. I told you not to think. Quick, you fairness. told me not to think. Miles, I've got to, I've got to ask David one more question before, before we let him go. Just because it's a, a modern question. I'd love to know. Obviously, I've been watching the IBL in the, in the 2020. I've got to ask him about how he would have coped with modern day cricket because all the great players would have adapted but what he would have done with that cover drive and everything he had in that locker that would have met him would you have had the scoop shot do you think? I'm not sure about the scoop um, I mean I suppose because the, the one thing I didn't like was wearing a, a visor in front of my face helmets yes they became easily usable and easy, you, you got used to the helmet but I didn't really like much anything in front of me so if you're going to play a scoop you've got to have something in front of you IPL and all that is a young man's game. Um, and if I go back to the start of my one-day careers for Leicestershire and for England, then whatever the innovation was at the time, stepping away, hitting it over extra cover, um, you know, all, the, all the shuffling around in the crease was prevalent then, um, and I was pretty good at that, um, you would have ad- one would adapt. And the encouraging thing I would have here, although I'm not a power player like Stokes or Gale or a lot, a lot of the guys playing now, um, the one guy who has a very good T20 record of the modern era, who is not a power man, is someone like Mahela Jayawardena, who could manoeuvre the ball with skill and timing and do some quite interesting things and get into places where there were no fielders. Baba Razama is exactly and, the same. Yeah, and have, a, have, a, have the, you know, the, the strike rate that is effective for the game. So that's, that would have been, if, if I was starting out, that would have been more my role model, someone like that. But well, you used so to you, hit the ball hard. I mean, it wasn't just grace and stuff. You did give it a whack. Yeah, but, the, but I, could, I, could, I could only do that if I timed it. So if I, if I got carried away and wanted to be, you know, had dreams of... Muscling it. Muscling, muscling it, yeah. then everything went wrong. So, yeah, head comes up and your rhythm goes and your timing goes. And, um, so I was never any good at that. So you, but, but the things that they do nowadays, like range hitting... You learn to you basically learn new techniques, new ways of doing things. So that's it then. That's the other million, there. A million lackers, RCB, David Gower next year. They're done. <laughs> um, million pound cricketer. I'm, not, I'm prepared. Uh, let's, 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 let's be. I'll come out with the dog more. stick. I'm prepared. <laughs> yeah. I'm prepared to take on that role of mentor for the same money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe to this podcast, wherever it takes you. Know. It is an absolute pleasure for me, uh, for you as well, I hope, Mark, yes, uh, to it. have you with us here today. Uh, David Gower, thank you very much indeed. My absolute pleasure. Right, Miles, that was the notorious D.I.G., as you put it. Quite enjoyed that, did you? That was great, yeah. I've, I've met David a few times, actually, but it's just nice to see him. I really like that stuff where he... You know, just when he starts getting really serious, I guess, you know, you get a sense of it's easy to think of him, isn't it, as just being sort of debonair and loose Mm. and stuff. But he's, you know, just how much he cares as well about Mm. not just about his own game, but about the the game as a whole. You know, it really it really matters to him. David um, is someone that I've always looked up to. um, And I'm I'm just what you're saying as well. I think the thing that I enjoyed most about listening to talk was actually I know the show is about eras. The sort of differences, but also that there was a lot of similarities as well. 
um, and the way that keeping things simple on the field, the same anxieties going out the back or facing fast bowling. Um, it's exactly the same nowadays. Um, it, it doesn't change the pressures of international cricket and it was you know, nice to hear him talk about it and be so honest and open. Do you feel, when you're talking to someone like him, you're, a member, you're both members of an elite club and do you get that sense when you're talking to him? Do you think he respects you more because you are someone that, like him, has played for England, you know, that has I test think, caps? Yeah, I think so. I think automatically you've got that sort of bond and respect there that you wouldn't have with someone that hadn't played for England. And it's not to anything to do with that personality or, or anything like that. It's just a, a bond he just, that you've He gone... just respects me less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it's just, you know... I actually sat at David's table. We we had all past England players over every um, generation. And we, we got handed these caps with tassels on it. And it was very, uh, all your numbers on and your name. And it was a lovely gift. Everyone, everyone was there. Um, and David was actually on my table. And I, as the current England player, I got to hand the cap out to um, some of the, the ex-players. It was a, so strange. Given David his cap, I was like, you're a legend. I've hardly played. Here's your, here's your cap. Um, please respect me. Um, and he took it really well. And um, he was a gentleman that night. And obviously, he was fantastic on the show there. Well, that's the uh, that's the uh, the benchmark set uh, for 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 following guests. They've got to be candid. They've got to they've got to be vulnerable. They've got to open up to Doctor Mark. <laughs> exactly. I'm an open book. Tell me your stories. And speaking of stories. If anybody at home, if you can send in um, anything that you've got, any stories you have from your local cricket club or, or backyard um, that have stood the test of time. So what are the stories from your cricket club or your uh, team that you play for that people still talk about? Uh, yeah, the one, we, one of the famous ones at Ashington is there was a guy um, opened the bowling for the second team um, years ago. It must be the 70s. Um, and he bowled basically a, a couple of wides. It wasn't very good. And the captain took him off. So in a bit of a huff, he went to fine leg and lay down at fine leg. And of course, the first ball, the next over, where does the ball go? Straight <laughs> to fine leg as he's lying on the floor. And because he's in such a huff and being a petulant child, this is a grown man, about 30 or 40, I think, at the time. As the ball comes trickling towards him, he's lying down with his um, elbow on the grass. He's um, fist against his head, relaxing. The ball is trickling straight towards him and he lifts his arm up for the ball to go underneath his arm and he puts his arm back down. It goes for four <laughs> and my second team captain says, you might as well go home or to, words to those effects. Thanks very much indeed for listening. Uh, if you have friends who you think might be interested in listening to this sort of thing, uh, this podcast is available on all of the podcast apps, not just the one that you yourself have chosen to use. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram and email us at middlepleas at hotmail.com. Goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. See you next time. Oh, should be taken and it's taken. Brilliant from Markwood. What a spell this has been. Thanks to Mark and everyone behind the scenes, including Cricketers Gin. Middle Please Umpire is an electric production in association with Playback Media. Sports Social Podcast Network.